Hey everybody, it is so good to see you here in our collective online experience. I know Pastor Kevin has already welcomed you at the beginning of our broadcast, but being the preacher for today, yeah, that's me, I want to welcome you again and uh, it's just so good to worship God together, although we are separate. But uh, there will come a day once more where we will gather again, where we will all be together in one room, sweaty and not being afraid of the virus that will come out through our sweat and we just worship God together. Can you imagine when we come back and we sing the bridge of that song and all the earth will shout your praise and you hear everyone's voice, everyone's voice in unison shouting their praise to God, singing their praise to God like in an arena or a stadium or even just a small room with people all bunched up together. That will come again soon, my friends. And I'm looking forward to that. But you know what? I know we are not going back to where we were. We are going to go back to a different level, to an all-new level, to a different volume as well. But yes, uh, right now we are going to go into the Word of God and we are in a series called Icon, Making God Visible. This series was kick-started two weeks ago. Took a break for Mother's Day. If you thought Esther did a great job preaching during Mother's Day, hey, give a shout-out to Esther right now. Put it in the comments. Appreciate her. Yeah, I'm not a mother, but I love the message more than meets the eye. But today we are back into our Icon series, Icon, Making God Visible. And today is part two. And if you need a title for today's message, you know, one of those who can't really live without a title, today's title is Picture Perfect. Icon, Making God Visible, part two, Picture Perfect. But before we go into part two, just do a recap of uh, part one, a very quick one. So part one was entitled Bella Chell. That's a reference for all you Money Heist fans out there. And it is basically talking about the freedom that Christ has purchased for us. Bella Chell was the song of freedom. And therefore, Pastor Kevin preached the message about the freedom of Christ. And we can sing the song of freedom right now. But today, we are going to go into part two of Icon, Making God Visible, Picture perfect. And um, let's pray. It's always a good idea to pray. Father God, we just want to give you thanks. Make clear to us, O oh Lord, whatever that is blurry, whatever that is unclear. God, I know that I am but a human, O oh Lord, and my words can never change lives. But God, I pray, even as I'm recording right, right now, oh God, a few days before this will be broadcast, God, even as I'm preaching to no one, but yet everyone, God, I pray that you use me in my weakness, in my capacity, O oh Lord, to bring forth your word, O oh God, to someone who needs that right now, to someone who needs a word that comes from you, O oh Lord, because it is your word that can change lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, before we go to the Bible, let's talk about what an icon is. You know, this series is called Icon, right? But um, we, we, we think we know what it means, and I guess most of us do, but just, just to be safe, uh, an icon is pretty much um, a person or even an object, usually famous, that represents a way of life, that represents certain principles, that uh, represents something really important. And uh, I know all of you out there watch Netflix, and right now there's this series called The Last Dance, and it's pretty much a feature on Michael Jordan. And he is one of our generation's greatest sporting icons, not just an icon of basketball, but 
a sporting icon throughout. And for someone like me, who, who's not really a basketball fan, you know, I know it involves a ball, it involves players, it involves a net, yeah, but I'm not a big fan, but I know who Michael Jordan is. So that's what an icon is. Everyone knows who the icon is. And icon is not, is, it's not just a person, you know, it could be an inanimate object as well. The Statue of Liberty is an icon of freedom. It is an icon that represents the people of America. And we have our own structure that is iconic as well. Our Petronas Twin Towers. The Twin Towers represent Malaysia. That's iconic. So we have this icon from the world of uh, sports, from the world of movies, from the world of music. I, I have my musical icons. So uh, this is going to be embarrassing, but I'm going to make a confession right now. The first musical icon in my life was this boy band called The New Kids on the Block. <laughs> yes, most of you under the age of 40 or 30 even would not know who The New Kids on the Block are, but yes, they were one of the boy bands that came out in the 80s and they were prominent in the early 90s and uh, they were icons of my initial musical life and I have my best friend at that time, Kelvin Chu, to blame. He was the one that got me into New Kids on the Block. I even had their posters in my bedroom. How shameful is that? <laughs> so. Hey, but what about you guys? Whose poster did you have up in your bedroom? Hey, let us know in the comments right now. Whose poster did you have up in your bedrooms? Or whose poster do you have still right now in your bedrooms? It could be someone, it could be an artist, it could be a band, or it could be a movie. You know, whose poster did you have? Let us know in the comments right now and we will so judge you if we don't agree with it. Okay, just kidding. <laughs> uh, but... Moving on in life, my, my musical icons changed as well. So when I became a teenager, you know, uh, my musical taste got more refined and I got into rock music and I was learning how to play the guitar. So I was really captivated by the guitar. And uh, my musical icons at that time were people like Joe Satriani. And when he came up with this album that he roped in Steve Vai and Eric Johnson, if you don't know who these names are, it's okay, you know, pretend like you do. He came up with this album called G3 live in concert and it was just three guitar icons coming together to, to play a concert and record it and it jammed together and man, that blew my mind away. That was really my soundtrack for the most part of my life at that time, you know. In my car when I was driving, you know, the songs were just playing over and over, you know. And those were the musical icons when I was a teenager. Yep, yeah, I was driving so it was late teens already. Lah. Okay, but today we're not going to talk about this kind of icons, we are going to talk about the icon of our faith, the icon of our faith, Jesus Christ. So we're going to go into the Word of God in Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, and we are going to read from verse 15. And if you are reading from the NIV, the New International Version, like I am, uh, you will notice that the heading says the supremacy of the Son of God. All right, so we are going to read this together. Verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. That's a lot of all things there. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And we're going to go into our last verse for today. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is a portion of scripture that Paul wrote when he was in a similar situation like us, in a lockdown. He was either in prison or he was under house arrest and he wrote this letter to the Colossian church. And this is a very poetic part of scripture. In fact, some people call it the Messiah poem that he included in his letter. So this is what we're going to do for today for the next 30 minutes or so. We are just going to break down this portion of scripture. I'm going to give you four portrayals of Christ's supremacy. Four portrayals of the supremacy of Christ. So without further ado, let's go. Number one, number one, Christ the portrait. Christ the portrait. You see, the Bible says in chapter 1, verse 15 of the book of Colossians, it says the Son is the image of the invisible God. This word image here is actually the Greek word icon, from where we get the word icon. And from this word, our series is based as well. Icon. But what does this word mean in the original language? It simply means a mirror-like representation. And it is an exact representation reflecting its source. So icon, Jesus, is a picture, perfect representation of the invisible Father in heaven. Jesus, the portrait of God. And one of the uses of this word icon is in this... Uh, ancient legal document that the Greeks used or perhaps people who are in the Greek-speaking world used at that time. So this legal document, whether it's a contract or an IOU, they would actually write down uh, characteristics and distinguishing features of the contracting parties. So for example, if I'm contracting with you and you have a mole on the right side of your face, the contract would state, okay, you have a right mole, uh, you have a mole on the right side of your face, you know, not right or wrong moles, right? Yeah, so you have a mole on the right side of your face, or maybe if you have red hair, you know, for some reason, it would state that you have red hair. This is to ensure that I will be contracting with who the document says it is, so that I would not make a mistake. Okay, you know what, this person has a mole on the right side of the cheek and he has red hair. Okay, it is you. Therefore, I confirm it is you that I'm contracting with. And the word icon is used for that document as well. It is as if the Apostle Paul was trying to tell us that, hey, if you look at Jesus, the icon of our faith, you would see the distinguishing features, the distinguishing characteristics of God the Father perfectly displayed in His Son, Jesus Christ. So that is the first portrayal of the supremacy of Christ in our time today. Christ the portrait, a portrait that is picture perfect. Secondly, the second portrayal of Christ that we will go through today is Christ the prototype. Christ the prototype. 
Let's read from verse 15 again. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. And then the next part, it says, The firstborn over all creation. Hey, how many of you are like me? Firstborns. Firstborns. Hey, if you're a firstborn, give us an emoji right now. Raise your hand and say, Hey, I'm a firstborn. And I wasn't supposed to be a firstborn, actually. I, I was told that I was supposed to have an older brother, but unfortunately, he... He didn't make it, you know, uh, my mom had a miscarriage, so hopefully I'll see him one day in heaven. Um, but yeah, so it ended up being me, the firstborn. But this is not what the Bible is talking about when it uses the word firstborn. You see, the firstborn is the word prototokos, and from where we get the word prototype, okay? So it's not just of chronological significance. It is actually more a title of honor. You see, in those days, if you are the firstborn, you get everything. You are the heir to the throne. You, you, you are the heir to the family's fortune. And the firstborn is a title of honor. And God even calls the nation of Israel His firstborn. And that really signifies the favor that God has on the nation of Israel. Another usage of the word firstborn was actually in a prophecy in the book of Psalms where the psalmist calls the Messiah, the firstborn who will be king over all the other kings. And that is the title that Jesus holds. And Paul is saying that he holds the highest honor. He is the firstborn, the prototype for all creation. But the firstborn word here was not just used in this verse. It was also used in a later verse, where he says that, uh, okay, where are we right now? In verse 18, it says that he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So Jesus Christ is not just the firstborn of creation, but he is also the firstborn from among the dead. He is not just the prototype of creation. He is the prototype of the new creation for those who will resurrect for those who will cross from death unto life. Jesus sets that pattern. He is the prototype. Amen. Christ the portrait. Christ the prototype. And thirdly, we have Christ the pleroma or pleromor. I'm not too sure how to pronounce this word because it is Greek. Okay, Christ the pleroma. What this word simply means is completeness or fullness completeness or fullness. And in verse 19, it says that for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. See, in Jesus Christ is the completeness and the completion of all things. There is nothing else to add on to him and there's nothing else to remove. He is God through and through. You know what? I am not Greek. I am Hokkien. So if you are Hokkien or you speak Hokkien, Another way that you can think about the word pleroma is paukaleao. You know, Christ, he paukaleao. He holds everything together. He takes on everything together. You know, it says that he created all things and all things were created through him and for him. What does this mean? It means that Christ is the cause of creation on two fronts. He is the one who caused creation to happen. He created it. But he is also the cause of creation at the end of the day. He is the cause that creation exists for. He is the cause that creation lives for. So he is from the beginning, causing creation to happen, and he is at the end, the cause that creation exists. But not only that, 
the Bible says that in Him, He holds all things together as well. So now you see why I say He Paukaleo, everything. Because He is from the beginning, and He is at the end, and He holds everything together. In Him is that completeness. In Him is that completion. And not only does completion lie in Him, but in Him is also the power to bring things into completion. Things into completion. See, in verse 20, the one following after that, it says, And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. See, God, the Son, Jesus Christ, came into the world to reconcile all things to Him. And this reconciliation is a reconciliation that is complete, that is full. It's a full restoration of the order of things. And you and I know that reconciliation is not always complete. And for those of us, especially who come from a family background that may be a bit more chaotic than others, or for those of us who have had a falling out with a friend before, and we know, although we can reconcile, although we can make things up, we know that it is never back to the way things were. We know that it is a reconciliation that is not complete as hard as we try because we human beings are imperfect. We cannot restore things back to its completion. But Christ the Son, Christ the Pleroma, Christ the completeness, the fullness of God reconciles all things completely. You know, in life, there are some things that are complementary. Uh, complementary not in the sense of it's being free or paying a compliment to someone, but complementary in that it complements something. So a compliment is something that adds to something to make it complete. For example, like coffee and cake. You can have coffee, but the cake makes the whole experience complete. Or butter and bread, you know, I, I love bread, but I love butter even more. I actually eat butter so that I can... No, I eat bread, sorry. I eat bread so that I can eat butter. And if you're looking for a type of butter to buy, I would recommend Kerrygold. Only the salted ones, okay? If you are the type who eats unsalted butter, God forgive you, repent of your sin right now. Okay? Just kidding. But yes, butter and bread, they are complementary. I have a question for you right now. In your life, is Christ complete or is He just complementary? Is Christ complete or is He just complementary? Is He the fullness? Is He enough? Is He sufficient? Is He your all in all? Or is He just something to add to your life to complement the other things, to make something complete? Or perhaps you're looking even for something else that will complete your experience with Christ. Is Christ complete or is He complementary to you? That is a question that we have to grapple with in our lives. Amen. That is the third point. Christ, the Pleroma. You see, our Christian faith is not based on a philosophy uh, that we have to discuss and have a discourse on and then disagree and agree and have an understanding of, although there are elements of it, you know, that are philosophical. Our Christian life is not based even on principles. Um, and it's definitely not based on a practice Although the spiritual disciplines are good to practice, things like prayer and fasting and worship, our Christian faith is definitely not based on programs because if it's based on programs, we will be wiped out right now because most of our programs are already gone with this pandemic that's happening. But no, our Christian faith is not based on all those things. Our faith is actually based 
on a person. And this is the fourth portrayal of the supremacy of Christ in Christ the person. Christ the person. You see, in verse 22 of that same part of Scripture, it says that, but now God, He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight. Christ really did exist. He is a person of history. He walked the earth. And today you have to make up your mind whether He is or He is not, whether He was or He was not. Did He walk the earth or did He not? Did he live or did he not? Did he rise again or did he not? Christ is a real person and that is whom our faith is based on. Not any philosophy, not any principle, not any kind of teaching, not any movement, but our movement itself is based on this person of Christ. And the way that we appreciate a person fully is actually by being fully present with that person. And at the end of the day, that's what Jesus wants with you, to be fully present with you. That's why we always say that the Christian faith is a personal relationship. And when you come to Christ, you are coming to a person, not just a God, but a God incarnated in a person and a God who is personable. We have many loved ones in our lives. And the best way that we can appreciate them, we know it's not through a gift, we know it's not through giving something even really expensive. We know it's not even through words or action sometimes. But it is through being fully present with that person, having that kind of intimacy with that person that there's nothing else that we can give to that person but ourselves. And Jesus Christ did that for you. He came as a person to give fully of Himself to you so that He can have that relationship intimacy with you. Christ, the person, that's who we base our faith on. Just going to have a few more closing thoughts. And I've gone through those four portrayals of the supremacy of Christ to give you a, maybe perhaps a better picture of the icon of our faith, Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God. But the question right now is this, so what's going to happen when the person who came to make the invisible God visible is now himself invisible? See, Christ has already ascended back into heaven. Who then will make God visible? And the answer is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. The church. You and I, we are now continuing the mission of making God visible to the world around us. You see, when Jesus walked the earth, one of his disciples asked him, hey, show us the Father. Show us God the Father. And Jesus replied, said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Can we actually say that of ourselves? Hey, if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. I know I can't say that, although I'm trying to, and I know all of us are trying to as well in our own imperfect ways. But that is our mission in the world so that someone can see us and see a glimpse of Jesus in our lives. And when Jesus walked the earth, the material world around him, being in the visible world, why was he so effective? Why can he say something like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? And I believe that it's because although he was in the visible world, he was driven by his invisible relationship with God 
the Father. Everything that He does, all His actions was motivated, was informed and influenced by His invisible relationship with God the Father. So perhaps one of the most important steps to making God visible is to stop making the visible God. Is to stop making the visible world your God. Is to stop being driven by what you see. Is to stop being influenced and living your life just based on what you see, on based on just what your physical eyes perceive. Jesus was driven by his invisible relationship with God. And I know it's tough because we live in a very image-driven world. We live in a very uh, image-conscious society. Even right now, I'm standing here. I got lighting put up. I put on a certain shirt, you know, put on the cap because I haven't cut my hair in two months. My hair is in a mess. You know, we, we make decisions based on what will be visible to the world. And I think that's probably the bigger problem. Not that we are driven by what is visible, but we are driven by how we want to be visible to the world. We are driven by how we want to portray ourselves to the world. And that sometimes causes chaos in our inner invisible world. And uh, in the world of social media today, it's even more apparent. And social media, it's not evil, it's not bad. It's pretty good, okay? It's useful. But what it does is it actually amplifies our human condition, our human condition of always wanting to put an image, put our visible self to the world that perhaps is not very real, perhaps it's not the best representation of what is the inside of us. And the invisible and visible world has this relationship, you know, there's this tension going on that we have the visible observations and the invisible effects. And it's a vicious cycle, you know. It's like when you have the visible observation of seeing someone uh, with a family that is picture perfect, and the invisible effect is, you know what, you ask yourself, why is my family not like that? Or why don't I have a family that is like that? Or if you have a visible observation of uh, an Instagram post of having your friends go out to dinner or having a party without you, the invisible effect of FOMO takes place, the fear of missing out. And you wonder, why are you not invited? Like, hey, did they forget about me? Hey, do they not love me? Or if you have the visible observation of someone who's really successful, and someone who's really making it in life with all the flashy cars and all the nice restaurant that he takes his girlfriend to or brings his family to. And the invisible effect is that, you know what, why is my life not like this? The invisible effect of envy, of ingratitude sometimes take place. I know I'm painting quite a negative picture, but you know that it is real. You know that it is something that we all struggle with. All of us are afraid to show the world our vulnerabilities. All of us are afraid to show the visible world, the invisible us. And I struggle with that as well. I've had friends come up to me and say, hey, Kason, you always seem to have everything in place, you know? You always seem to have the right answers. Everything seems to be okay with you, you know? There's, there's always, you know, nothing going wrong with you. And that is so far from the truth. And the thing is, I'm not even purposely portraying that. I don't. But perhaps subconsciously in me, that is what I want to portray to the world, the visible self that has it all figured out. But the invisible inner world is in chaos. All of us go through that. I'm just going to bring a few more scriptures to you before I close, a few more thoughts. And let's go 
to the same part of scripture that we were at in verse 21. Paul told the Colossian church, he says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. You were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. You see how the visible and invisible are interplaying right now. The visible observation, evil behavior, but the invisible effect, we were enemies in our minds. And that is really what causes the separation between us and God. It's not so much what we do, it's not so much the actions that we take, but it's more the condition of our hearts, the condition of our minds. So that is the human condition. But the Bible has also a solution for it. And it's found in another one of Paul's letters to the Romans. And we're going to go into Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It's a very popular part of scripture that most of us would know. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. You see, do not conform to the visible patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, something that happens in the invisible. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's why we come together every weekend to worship. That's why we come together every weekend to hear the Word of God because this is a process. It is not an event. The renewing of our mind is not a one-time event. It is a constant renewing that happens week after week, week after week, day after day. And we have to always continuously renew our minds. You know, perhaps everything that I say today is nothing new to you. Maybe some parts are, and perhaps some of it are already so-called stale. You've heard it so much before, and you want a new revelation. You know what? I've heard a preacher say this before. Most of the times, revelation is pretty much repetition. Revelation is repetition. You just got to keep repeating the Word of God in your mind and your lives and see it play out in your visible world through the repetition of the Word of God in your minds. That's why we are even learning the Word of God today. The repetition of the Word of God will become the revelation of His Word in your life. There's another part that's really interesting and I promise you with this I will close already. It says in, um, where are we right now? Yeah, that's the problem with using a real physical Bible. It says in verse 18, I'm just going to read a part of that scripture. It says, So that in everything He, referring to Christ, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. And I find it interesting that the Bible uses the word might instead of He will have the supremacy. And the reason why it is might is because God gave the decision to you. You know, Christ is all this. Christ is complete. Christ is the fullness of God. Christ is the prototype. But God still throws that decision to you. He is supreme. But do you want Him to be supreme in your life? I don't know where you are right now. This could land in all different places. We are all in different situations in life. If you come from a position of not knowing who this God is at all, not knowing who Jesus is at all, can I just invite you today to maybe take a chance, take a chance on this person, on this God called Jesus and make up your mind today and decide, you know what? I'm going to open up my heart. I'm going to open up my mind to Jesus. And if you've been with Jesus for many years already, like myself, you know, being a Christian since I was really young, 
we still need to make the decision continuously, to make the decision in our minds, to always be renewed, to always be restored once again to God and always have keep this journey of our Christian walk, of our Christian maturity. You know, the goal in life, the goal of Christian maturity is simply to be like Jesus. To simply be like Jesus. And it is actually through our journey of Christian maturity, not the accomplishment of it, not the achievement of it. It is through the journey, through the ups and downs, that we make God visible to the world around us. We're going to pray and we're going to worship for a bit. So can I just invite you to just give God a moment right now. To worship is simply to pay attention, to fix your eyes, to fix your eyes on the image of the invisible God, to the icon of our faith. Whatever you're doing right now, if you're watching this with a cup of coffee in your hands, or you may be having breakfast, butter and bread maybe, can I just invite you to put it aside for a few minutes and we're going to pray and we're just going to worship God for a few moments. Father God, we thank you for your Son. We thank you for the icon of our faith. And for those of us who do not know you, for those far from you, God, I pray that you make yourself so real in their lives right now. If you want to make this decision to have Jesus come into your life, to have Jesus be a part of your life, can I invite you to just say this prayer with me? Say, God, I come before you. I'm far from you, but I want to be near you. And I know you took that step towards me. So God, I give you my life. God, I give you my life. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time, can you just let us know in the comments? Put up an emoji with the hands raised up or just say, yes, yes, I pray that for the first time. And if that's you, can I just invite you to take one small little step and join us in a Zoom room right after this. A Zoom room is where our leaders will be there and there are people who can just journey with you in your next step of faith and they can pray with you, you can just share your situation with them and just have someone pray with you. So if you've prayed that prayer for the first time or if you just want to talk to someone, can I invite you to join the Zoom room? The instructions will be given in a bit. And for those of you who have been Christians for a while already, Actually, for every one of you, can I just invite you right now into a time of worship? And it's just going to be nothing fancy. Me and a guitar. And you know what? The sound is not going to be that perfect as well. But if I can just invite you to worship together for the next few moments as we look to God. <laughs> 